Today we are going to talk about one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. And even if you are not a Christian, you've probably heard some of the passages that are in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is really the first of John's attempt, or the author of John, to take us through the teachings of Jesus and salvation. And there's a whole lot here, folks, and we're going to go through it. And I'm going to try not to bore you too much with all of the Greek and all the history, but it's really important. Um, Some of what we're going to talk about today is very controversial, and I don't necessarily want to start a whole bunch of fires. Um, I like to put them out. (laughs) I like to say there's no reason to start a fire in the first place, but we're going to talk about, and again, sometimes I think we need to look at this class as I'm the messenger. I'm going to tell you what different people think. It's kind of up to you, between you and your relationship with God, to decide what's right for you and what's right in general, Um, and I'm just going to be the messenger and kind of tell you what different people think. So... Yes, I believe certain things myself, but I'm a human being and I'm as imperfect as you are. So I think what we're going to do today is just start right off. And we're going to start with John chapter 3, verses 1. And we want to read from 1 to 21. Who would like to read that for me? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into the mother's, his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to, said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do you... And do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes him in, believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, only his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God, God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but the world that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes in comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having being wrought in God. Thank you so much. Here we go. I'm going to say, as my advice to you, if you are sharing the gospel with someone who is not a believer, I would recommend that you start with John chapter 3. And not just with John 3.16, because that is the number one passage you should be sharing. Absolutely. I would encourage you to read this whole passage to them, at least 1 through 21. Why? Because this sums up the gospel in every possible way. And the author of John has put it right at the beginning of his book, essentially, for a very good reason. He wants you to hear it. Remember, the gospels are letters, essentially, that are being read to churches in the Roman Empire in the first century. 
there are people, and even church is probably a loose term, it's a collection of people that are hearing news about Jesus, and some of them are not believers, and some of them are. What does that sound like? <laughs> a church, right? The first century is no different than the 21st century. And how many of you go online to a YouTube video and you give that video 15 seconds before you bail if it sucks, okay? The Gospels are no different. <clears throat> and someone is reading this letter to a group of people who may or may not be believers and he wants that group to hear the truth as soon as possible. Don't beat around the bush. Don't pretend. Don't start with a whole bunch of flowery exposition. Jump right into it. Read John 3, 1 to 21. That's my advice to you. Now, what is John 3, verses 1 to 21 saying? This is huge. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here. Let's start at the very beginning. Who is Nicodemus? Pharisee. Pharisee. Jewish. Who else? He was a leader in a group of leaders called the Sanhedrin. What is the Sanhedrin? It's the ruling class of Jews. It's not just the ruling class of Jews. It's like the ruling government of the Jews. Seventy men plus one, the high priest, so 71 men of the highest standing in the Jewish community, which was a mixture of political appointment as well as genealogical lineage, you would be selected. <clears throat> Men who had ultimate say in kind of the religious ruling of the Jewish people. And during the first century, the, probably the second or third century BC, all the way to the first century AD, they also had some control over people's lives in the sense that if people violated certain Jewish customs or laws, they could go to the Roman Empire and ask for physical imprisonment or punishment for those things. So they had a lot of power. These aren't just people that would shun you at the door. They could, in fact, petition to have your life taken from you. So this is a very powerful group of people. They didn't believe in resurrection of angels or people either. Hang on. Now, let's separate that. I'm let's sorry. separate that. Because it's really important that we know what the difference is. Nicodemus is called a Pharisee. What does Pharisee mean? Does anyone know what that word means? I don't know if it's in your footnotes like or not. Teacher? No. Like Say it again. <laughs> I think I'm as legalists. They're legalists. That's who they are. The word Pharisee, Pharisaios, is a Greek word that means sect or separatists. So this isn't in the sense of like guerrilla warfare where people are separate. It means that they are so orthodox in their beliefs and so strong that they have kind of separated themselves from all the other unclean, unholy people, if you want to think of it that way. Now, Pharisees do believe in a bodily resurrection of the dead. They believe in spirits like angels and demons, and they believe in a spiritual realm called heaven in which many of them believed good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell or Sheol or Hades, if you want to think of it that way. So, to answer your question, sweetheart, the Pharisees do believe in spirits. Um, they're very orthodox, <clears throat> meaning they, they strictly adhere to the letter of the law. And remember, you have to, the Pharisees were kind of a group that grew out of the return of the exiles from Babylon and Persia. You have to understand, in the 5th century BC, the Jewish people were in chaos, and their mix of Persian religions and Babylonian religions was really bad. The Pharisees probably arose out of a, probably a very good place to say, we need to get back to the Holy Scriptures and just believe what the Scriptures say, okay? The problem with the Pharisees is they believed that the Scriptures encompassed way more of the writings than we would consider today, or even an Orthodox Jew today. Not only did they have the Tanakh, which is the law, the, the writings, and the prophets, but they had a huge expanded um, uh, group of writings that they believed were also true. Now, so if you think of the Pharisees, they're very Orthodox in their beliefs. They were probably also the middle class. Now, you have to remember this too. <laughs> 
And in its middle class, in, in, in a sense that you could be middle class in the first century. Remember, there is no huge middle class then as there is now. Middle class in the sense that they, they did okay, but they were not the aristocracy. Who were the aristocracy of the first century Jews? Sadducees. Sadducees. Good job. So, compare Sadducees. This, Lorna, is where you are right in the sense that the Sadducees were the aristocracy. What does aristocracy mean? Top. So it's lineage. Lineage? Top? What did they have a lot of? Money. They were rich and powerful. And rich and powerful people tend to go in families. So you're born into this aristocracy. You're born into the 1%, if you want to call it that way. That was the Sadducees. The funny thing about the Sadducees was they were not spiritualists. They did not believe in demons or angels. They didn't believe in a bodily resurrection of the dead. They kind of thought, and this might surprise you, when you die, you're dead. Your body decomposes. Very Walt Whitman. <laughs> plant a tree. When I die, plant a tree in my stomach, because that's what I think is happening to me in the afterlife. That was the Sadducees. Problem with the Sadducees, well, and maybe this is one thing here, so aristocracy, <clears throat> not spiritualists. Just Guess who, say it. I can only recognize the first five books. Of the yes, book very good. They only recognize the law or the Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament, we call it, they reject everything else. These were the folks who were the priests. Now, the Sadducees, who is the high priest? Oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> wow. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> who is the high priest when Jesus is put on trial in a few years? Caiaphas. Caiaphas. Caiaphas had a father-in-law. What was his name? Annas. They were all related. It won't surprise you to learn that the high priest was appointed by a Roman governor. <clears throat> Pontius Pilate had the power to decide who was going to be the high priest of the Jews. Why would the Romans do that? Because they want control. You all got it. Control. They want to have control over the Jewish people. The Sadducees can be the priests. The Sadducees are far fewer in number. This is 10 to 1. I don't even know. It's, it's, they're, they're much smaller. <clears throat> Much smaller sect. Okay, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. What do you notice right at the beginning? It says here, he came to Jesus at night. What does that tell you? It says that he didn't want to be seen. Boom. He's he coming to him at night. He didn't want anybody to see him. I'm not going to the daytime. I'm part of the freaking Sanhedrin, yo. If they see me out there, what are they going to say? I think it just also shows that, like, amongst the Sanhedrin, there's always already talk about negative talk about Jesus. Yes. Because if it was positive, yes. he would have felt fine walking up to. I can go because they think you're a hack. Right, but they had negative talk for sure. What is the pronoun in verse? What is it? My glasses are screwing up. In verse one, no two. What we? We know you are a teacher who came from God. What does that tell you already in the first, less than the first year of Jesus' ministry? How many people on the Sanhedrin think Jesus might be who he actually says he is? There's some. More than one. Does this surprise you? <clears throat> Isn't Nicodemus the one that took Jesus off the cross? Yes. What did he say? Nicodemus, this Nicodemus is most likely the same Nicodemus who, with Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus' body off the cross when he was dead and prepared his body for burial. He also defended, didn't he defend uh, the, the, uh, his Paul, hmm? Paul and Barnabas, and uh, said, hey, if these guys aren't preaching the truth, they're going to go away. And so he kind of stood up amongst <clears throat> the Sanhedrin mm -hmm. and kind of advised them, hey, back off. <clears throat> he and Gamaliel, right? What does this say about Nicodemus? Did I write his name down on here? 
I thought I did. Is it over here? No. Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus, I should have written it over here. It's Greek. <laughs> I know, you're like, stop with the Greek already. Nicodemus. Nicodemus means victory over the people <laughs> or victory of the people. Nicodemus, what does that say about the man, Nicodemus? All of what we just said. He's admired. <clears throat> He's admired. I admire him. This is a hero, folks. A hero who had everything to lose to be a supporter of Jesus Christ. And yet he stuck, he's coming at night, I'll give you that. But he's coming to him. He's at least acknowledging that this guy might be who he says he is. Well, I, and he's mm -hmm. smart enough to, like, he needs to find out the truth and yes. he wants to find it out from the source I rather than just hearing it from <clears throat> secondhand. Because he could have sent one of his minions, because they all had minions. Yes. This was a common ploy by the Sanhedrin and the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm going to send a, I'm going to send a worker um, or an attendant or, or a slave, and I'm going to go and have them investigate this. But Nicodemus went himself. What does this say about us? When we hear rumor or supposition or we hear something that we are curious about, who is the right person to go to first about that information? Source. Go to the source. Folks, this is your source. Not Joel Osteen. Love you, Joel. This is not against you. Not <laughs> Billy Graham. Not um, focus on the family. Those are all fine, great people, whatever. This is your source. And what do you do once you read this? What is the next thing you should do? Dear God, what does this mean? Reveal to me what this means. Not, hey, um, dude who, you know... <clears throat> is famous, and I want to know more about Jesus. Tell me all of it. That's fine. You can do that at some point, but who's the first people you should go to? Go to the source. Okay? Nicodemus went to the source. How? I tell you the truth. He says, for no one could perform these miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. By the way, folks, the author of John almost, this is the only place in the whole book that refers to the quote kingdom of God. It's just kind of a side note, but the other synoptics are very liberal with that term. The author of John only mentions it here. The Greek here is really important because you're probably reading this and in the English translation, it is presented in a way that is obvious. No one can come to the Father unless he is born again. Well, Nicodemus says, oh, you mean I got to be born of my mother again. For you, in the English-speaking world, that makes total sense. That is not what the Greek says. The Greek says it this way, and I want you to think about, let's say you're practicing a rehearsal for a music festival, and you're with your band, you go, okay, guys, let's try it one more time from the top. What does from the top mean? Beginning. That is the Greek. The Greek. Did I write it? No, oh no. We have no, no. idea. <laughs> <Anothen>. <laughs> yes, Ganethe, Anothen. I love you. I'm sorry. And you know, look, it's a bell curve, it's right? So it, well, that's it. I love you. Thank you. Ganethe, Anothen. The subjunctive could be born from the top. Jesus says, in order for you to be in the kingdom, you have to be born again from the top. Now. <laughs> Nicodemus is a smart guy because he hears that you have to be born again from the top. He thinks it means from the beginning. What is from the beginning? Well, if I reverse time, where did I come from? My mother's womb. Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't get it. Jesus is so good about this. So good. I don't mean from your mother's womb. I mean literally from the top. What does literally from the top mean? From heaven, from the source. What is the source here? Who is the source? First of all, creation. And who is that? Yeshua. Yeshua, Jehovah, God Almighty. You have to be born again from Jehovah. If you are born again from Jehovah, is that a physical birth? Is that from a womb? No. What is it? What kind of birth is it? It is a spiritual birth. If you are born again from Jehovah God, 
What does that make you, and what does that make Jehovah God? Son, Father. I've heard it said, born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. I like it. And so what Jesus is saying here is super profound. Now, you have to understand this is as groundbreaking in the first century as it is in the 21st. To be born from a God of the universe, how many other religions on earth would claim that in a spiritual way you are the son of God? Ego will that. Ah, but then they would say that you are God. I am God, right? Now, you had cases where some certain people, both, maniacal people, ways, might, yes. The ego won't let that. I like that. From the God yep. like and that. from the, the I am God side. And from the Jewish perspective, this would be heresy. This would be, you, are, you know, what? You're saying that I can be kind of a spiritual son of the Almighty? No way. That doesn't go over very well with some people. But it has to go over well with us because Jesus is saying it is truth, and we have to accept it. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Guess what? Please say I wrote it. Yes. <laughs> the word for wind and the word for spirit are the exact same in the Greek, the pneuma or pneuma. Jesus is using a play on words here, and we don't catch it because we're reading it in English. The wind blows wherever it wants. No, no, no. The Spirit blows wherever it wants. The Holy Spirit blows wherever it wants. And you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the wind or Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asks. Now, what did we just say Nicodemus was? Pharisee? Orthodox, Sanhedrin, he is in charge. These are teachers, folks. These are people who are experts. He just goes to Jesus and says, how can this be? And Jesus' response is what? How do you not know this? What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're Israel's teacher and you don't get this? And literally, this is fundamental. This is fundamental. He says... You don't understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and testify to what we've seen, but you still don't accept our testimony. Look, folks, this is very simple. You can tell people truth all day long. Jesus can perform miracles all day long. Did miracles, did miracles ensure that everyone that saw them would believe that he was Jesus? No, because some of the people were like, oh, it's the devil is giving him the ability to do this. Some people thought it was the devil. Some people thought it was a trick. Some people thought he was out of his mind. And some, even on the Sanhedrin themselves, were so outraged, they wanted him dead. Remember when Jesus, and maybe, okay, we're going to, skipping ahead, in John, at the end, Lazarus, one of Jesus' very closest friends, dies. What happens with Lazarus? Well, he's dead for a few days, and then Jesus comes, and he's mourns with them, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. Raises Lazarus from the dead. One of the all-time great miracles of Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin is so pissed, excuse my language, so pissed that he did this, that they want to kill Lazarus a second time so that people won't know that Jesus is who he says he is. We, we laugh at this scenario or huh? mock it. Yep. But... Look no further than our own political system, Thank you. where the party in power, and I don't care which party it is, the opposite party wants the economy to tank so that they can be in power. Yep. And when they're in power, the other party wants the economy to tank so they can take over. It's just this cycle of power, and they don't care if it hurts the, the general population. Yep. You know, if it helps them, well, then that's the direction we need to go. Things haven't changed much in 2,000 years, have they? Not too much. I'm so glad you got to read. I'm going to break into tears. <laughs> John 3.16. I don't know how you can say it any better, guys. 
this is it. If this is the last class we ever do, we can end on a great note. For God so loved the world that he gave who? His son. Not just his son. Ah, here we go. Mono. Genes. Contrary to what some preachers will tell you, this means only begotten. One of a kind. Unique. Monogenes. His only begotten son. That what? Whoever. Whoever. <laughs> and let me back up. For God so loved the who? World. Who did the Jews in the first century think were the only ones who were even, even considered for salvation? The Jews. This says the world. Right there, that is completely against Jewish thought of the first century. Because the world is not a... Those people were not good people. Yes. All those people as Gentiles are not even part of us. What do they know about God? No, God loved them too. That he gave his only son that whoever believes. This is a big one. Pistis. Believes. This is the word for belief in the New Testament. Almost universally. It means what you would expect. Faith. Belief. And most importantly, its root, entrustment. It comes from a derivation of the Greek word patho, which means to trust or to, to entrust. Folks, to believe into God means to entrust him. What does entrust him mean? You're giving him yourself, basically. I am giving myself over. I am going to put my life in his hands. Folks, this is not just recognizing that, yeah, maybe Jesus was who he said he was. That is not what this is saying. It's not good enough to just wake up in America and hear, oh, yeah, I've heard some stuff about Jesus. And, yeah, he, he might be the son of God. Sure, I can, I can accept that. That is not what this means. Entrustment. I am going to entrust my life with him. That is a whole different contract, folks. That is a whole different contract. Later on it says, you say you believe in God, but even the demons believe in yes. this. Yes. If that was, this is exactly it, Ken. If just acknowledging Jesus is who he says he is is good enough, then all the demons are going to heaven too. That's bullcrap. Of course they're not. Why? Because they are not entrusting themselves to him. Didn't know you're gonna get so much cursing here. <laughs> Orthodox Christian video. You shall not perish. You shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting. Everlasting. Ah, I did write this one. Zoane Ionian. So this means you will live for the age or live for ages. In another way of saying it, it means eternal or everlasting. It means you will have a life that cannot be extinguished. How many of you guys want that? Depends where I go. Right. That's it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And what does Jesus promise you, Jeremy? Well, I can sit at his right hand. You're going to be like the thief on the cross. And where did the thief on the cross go? Paradise. 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 All I have to do is believe and entrust Jesus with my life, and I can live in paradise for all <coughs> ages. That's the gospel. In my, uh, my translation, yeah. it says not only eternal, but it says without beginning or end. So really, when we go to heaven, mm -hmm. it's like we've always been there. I love and that. I love that concept because it's kind of scientific. It's kind of like time no longer has meaning when I have suddenly entered the kingdom of heaven for the last time, that there was no more beginning or end. Think of it like a loop. Why do you wear a ring on your finger if you're married? Because it symbolizes time. Maybe you didn't realize that. <clears throat> you were born in a linear fashion. Someday you will die. I'm sorry if this bothers you. You wear a ring on your finger for marriage. Time has been looped into a loop. Where's the start and the end of your marriage? In a way. It's eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. This is what I would like to think 
is the new kingdom. There is no beginning and end. And some of you are going, you're looking at your spouse. Oh, <laughs> right? So we shouldn't put our dates on the inside of our ring. That's good. That's good. That's good. I love this class. You know what I love about this class? You're all like me. You have this cynical, dark view of the world. I love it. The, uh, the kingdom has, has, once you've entrusted, it's that time's wiped out. Yes. It's now. It's not when I die. I'm yes. so glad you said this. That, that also, how can I explain? It wipes away all our sin. Because really, the, the, the sin that we have in life, we don't accept Christ, we are destined to go to hell. But the second we trust in Christ for our salvation in our life, all that sin goes away, which, in essence, if we do die, it's like we have no beginning or end. We are eternal. All that stuff has been separated. You guys have, have been, you, are, you know intuitively what the truth is. Again, not to belabor it, the Greek for the kingdom of God has come is engus, but it is the perfect Greek tense, which means it has come. It has perfected. It has come in the past, and it is now, it is continuing to be fulfilled. The kingdom is here, folks. It was here the moment that Jesus Christ began his ministry. What's funny is he's talking to Nicodemus. He's standing there talking to him about truth, yep. who is truth, yep. the way, the truth, and the life. And he's like, I'm right here. And, you know, I'm giving you my testimony, mm-hmm. but yet you don't believe it. Yep. Yep. So I'm standing right here. And, and that, that was the point about the miracles. Literally, Jesus can stand right there and tell you the truth. And it's a bell curve. There are some people that will reject it no matter what. Don't get, don't get discouraged. You're going to tell the world about Jesus. Some of them are going to tell you to F off. I hate God. I don't believe in God. You're a bunch of bigots. I don't want to hear about it. Fine. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the people who God is calling to. I'm sorry if that sounds rude. I don't have time to sit and argue for 10 years with an atheist that doesn't want to believe in God. I just don't. If you don't want to believe it and God is, is not revealing himself to you because you're not asking it, I'm done with you. I will tell you the truth. Here is the truth. I'm going to move on because there is what? Plenty of people in this world that do want to hear the truth. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. God has said there is a field of people out there ready for the harvest who are ready to believe in Jesus. You've got to just tell them about him and tell them more about him. Some of them, it's like the seed that falls on the path or on the rocks. Soon as it either it gets eaten by the birds right away or it germinates and it, and it fails. I can't be worried about that all day. I had a friend that uh, they'd go to church and hear the sermon and they'd go home and she preached the sermon all over again to her husband. Hmm? She did that for 40 years. Yep. Finally, she said, I don't care who does what. She says, I'm going to heaven. Yep. She says, no, I don't care what anybody else does. And you know he came to Christ. And you know what? I think it's a good point, Lorna. It's not to say to give up. He couldn't get enough of God's word. You can't give up, but at the same time, don't perseverate on it. Say, look, I'm going to share the truth. And there's look, there's people in my family who I want to come to Jesus. Don't get me wrong. There's my close friends, family members that I look at them and go, I really hope someday you you come to believe in Jesus. And I and I share the gospel. I share Bible verses, especially. um, And one thing I do, like at work, when there's bereavement. I will send, I don't care who they are, I will send them words of scriptural encouragement. Jesus loves you. There is an eternal life. God loves you and will take care of you. There's a time where there will be no more sickness and dying. I hope some of them really believe that. I did my part. And, you know, this video is part of it. This class is part of it. But there are people who do want to hear the word. They are receptive to it. You are all here for a reason, I believe, that you are receptive to it. Let's talk about it. So let's, that's the point. But I'm not going to give up. Okay, blood pressure boiling. John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. Let's read about that. Verses 22, and let's go right to the end, which is 36. Who would like to read that for me? Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Aenon 
near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Thank you, Steve. This is another huge chapter, and I'm just going to, before I launch into it, what are your reactions to what has happened here? stood out for me is a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Nice. Okay. Okay. I mean, John knows his place in, okay. in his Real role. Okay. Um, and is meant to point everyone to Christ. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Knows his place. What do you notice about his followers? Something very interesting here. They're territorial. Yes! They're like, dude, we were here first. Now this guy, who they remember, they remember that guy you baptized in the Jordan River, so ah, they remember that. They're all going to him now. It says, and everyone is going to him. It says the one you spoke about so much. So, yes. should they know what he said? Yeah. <laughs> What else do you take from this? You know, it's interesting that uh, John points out that it was his his calling or his God's intent for his ministry to to start big mm -hmm. and then to gradually dissipate but that even as it was dissipating, it was yep. still his job to keep doing it until you know, it finally ended. Yep. Yep, I, mean, I can't even write that because it's, it's I, yeah, I agree with you. Did Jesus baptize people? I'm going there. Oh, I'm going there. He says he did. <clears throat> apostles, I should say. Depends on what version of the, of the English New Testament you read. Some, I believe, people feel very strongly about this. Personally, I don't know why. When I, I have baptized two of my three children, and only the third not because she's still very young and she hasn't decided yet, but, but I have baptized my children and I baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In a sense, I am baptizing her or them in a sense of in place of, with the duly appointed ability to do that, as if they were doing it themselves. And in fact, when you believe in Jesus and you come to accept the Holy Spirit in your heart, the Holy Spirit baptizes you with itself, himself, with fire. That's, that's the way the New Testament says it. So there is no real reason to say there sh Jesus shouldn't be baptizing people. In a sense, Jesus is baptizing people every time someone gets baptized. The Greek here is very clear, folks. Ebaptizen. It means he baptized. 
If it were they were baptizing, like some of your English translations will say, that is a baptizan, that is not what is written here. As far as the original Greek of the New Testament goes, Jesus himself was baptizing. Later, you read the present form of that. So this is the past, and this is what is called the past imperfect. You don't care. The past imperfect means it is something that happened in the past that was ongoing. He didn't just baptize once. He continued baptizing. Baptize means he baptizes. He is baptizing. That's later on when they're talking about what, what Jesus is doing. This is he is baptizing. If it were they were baptizing, we'd be baptizusin. Sorry if that's esoteric. Don't let people argue with you about what they think. This is what we know based on the actual text. Now, it's okay with me. I'm totally fine with the fact that Jesus baptized people. I would love to be baptized by Jesus physically, okay? Even though he did it spiritually. What is the issue? You tell I mean, me. I mean, that's right. That's kind of like, why get worked up about something so minor, right? What would you say? Jesus is always kind of doing the thing, right? Ah, yeah. John baptized him. Mm -hmm. I was confused by that. Mm -hmm. So why would he? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Yes. How lower can it go? Yes. Do some people think it's too lonely of, of an act, or but isn't that the point? <laughs> I love an image of Jesus baptizing. I don't know if I want Jesus baptizing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He sees everything, right? Yes. Like, yes, it's so okay. true. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it, Roger. Yes, you better don't be twice. Can I get a repeat card here? You know, ten times. Yeah. I love it. I love it. One thing that might have stuck out to you here that the author says all of this has happened before Jesus got arrested. I'm sorry, before John the Baptist got arrested. Mark 1.14, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus gets baptized. All four Gospels record Jesus' baptism. Immediately in the Synoptics, what happens with Jesus? Yes, he goes into the desert and what happens? He's tempted for 40 days. Yes, desert or the wastes, Eremos, it just means to the desolate region. He is tempted by Satan at least three times. That's recorded in the synoptics. And immediately following that begins his earthly ministry. And then what happens to John the Baptist? He's arrested. So what's interesting here is that it appears as though Jesus' Judean ministry has been happening. He's already kind of laying out his framework for what the new kingdom looks like, and this is all preceding Mark 1.14. So I'm just saying that to remember, and this Nathan kind of made the point last week, that is, the Gospels are not literal minute-by-minute minute recordings of what happened in history, right? And sometimes if you go to a news site, you might see for a breaking news story, they might, their, their breaking news updates, you might see a timestamp by that, okay, at 12 o'clock, Trump said this, and at one o'clock, Nancy Pelosi said that, right? Okay, not trying to get your blood boiling, I'm just saying. There's kind of a literal chronological order to it all. That is, that is not what the, the gospel authors are trying to do. However, it does appear as though this fills in a huge gap in what the synoptics don't talk about, which again, doesn't mean it didn't happen, it just means they didn't record it, that there is a huge bit of Judean ministry happening before John the Baptist even gets arrested. Look, there's friction between their two groups. So just kind of keep in mind, this is an evolving situation in which those two groups are still active together at the same time. What about Jesus' authority? This is a big one. He's been in heaven. Yes. He's been in heaven. What does that mean, Ken? He knows. He knows what's coming. He can speak of it. What is the author of John making time after time? He keeps making this point. Who is Jesus? Son of, God. son of God. But more than son of God, it's not like, you know, Zeus and his children, right? His <coughs> mischievous children. It's the one and only son of God, the only begotten son. 
and this is it. He is so important and so eternal that he has always been there. What We talked about it for this eternity, Ionian. Jesus himself already exists in this kind of eternal existence in which he has always been and always will be. The son of the living God, God is alive, he's not. It says here, um, let's see, where does it say about heaven? 31, 32. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended. Where is that verse? No one? Where is that one? John 3. Yes. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 13. Jesus is making a huge claim here. Now, for those of you who remember Elijah or Enoch or references in the Old Testament where people who were pious believers of God seemingly went up to heaven, have to remember, first of all, this is a whole long thing. It's a lot of different ways of referring to the heavens. Uranus is the Greek. It just means the heavens. It can mean the clouds and sky. It can mean the firmament, that is, everything above my head that includes stars, the sun, the planets. And it can mean the heavenly realm, which is the region where God exists. But Jesus isn't talking about the clouds. And he's not talking about the firmament of the the dots in the sky where the stars are. He is making a very specific claim here, folks. I and I alone have resided intimately with who? The triune Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are the club, guys. We are the club. And me, Jesus, I am part of that. Only me. Only me because I'm the only one who has descended to earth in human form. Jesus' authority, he is claiming. This this could have gotten him killed right away. I mean, this could have started the riots, right? And, And did. It starts riots. Jesus is saying, I am equal, co-equal with God, at least according to the author of John. Born, been in heaven, going back to heaven. So the authority of Jesus is not a great prophet. It's not a smart guy. It's not even the concept of the Messiah the Jews thought. What, what was the concept? I beat this into the ground. What is the concept of the Messiah in the first century Jew? A military king, leader, conqueror. Jesus is saying, I am none of those things, and I am all of those things. It's my authority. And then I love this last part here, like what Ken was saying. The one who comes from above is above all. Okay, what does all mean? <laughs> all. Not just some. Everybody. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. Speaks as one from the earth. Who is from the earth? People. Folks, I came from the earth. I'm going to go back to the earth. Ashes to ashes, that whole thing. But my spirit is something special. And in the end, at judgment day, my body itself will be resurrected into an eternal body, a form that cannot be killed. And I believe I'm going to paradise, living in paradise with God. But Jesus is making his very specific statement here. Jesus, I am God, co-equal, and I have authority over all things. How powerful is that for you? And does that change the message that you might share with others about Jesus? Lot of thought going on. John, I can see that. John is a lot about love. Yeah. And I think it really shows Jesus' love, God's love for us, uh-huh. which is what he's saying in John 3, you know, 16. Yeah. Because Jesus is co-equal with God. Yep. He is, has all the authority, and he chose to come to earth and be a lowly mm-hmm. human just mm-hmm. so that he could reach us. Yep. You know? And so that he could understand, I mean, I guess he already did understand, but like, we have, can have full confidence that he understands 
everything about what it's like to be human because I love it. I feel that when people quote John 3.16, they should always quote 3.17. I'm sorry, I do. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. Yes, you're going to be judged someday. You're going to be judged based on your relationship with who. And it's very clear here, there's only one path to God. I'm sorry if that rubs you the wrong way and you want to believe that there's many paths to God and, you know, why would God only have one right answer? I'm sorry. Multiple choice tests have one right answer. Sorry if that rubs you the wrong way. I think verse 17 also is like their culture. There's a lot of, you know, there's all these Greek and Roman gods. Yes. And they have stories of them coming to earth. But yes. it's always to be mischievous. And exactly. To cause chaos with, with the people. Smash you, puny humans. But like, You're annoying. It's like he's directly saying, God, our God isn't like your gods. Yeah. Our God came and sent his son to earth not to judge or to create dissension, but to save it. You know. How awesome is that? I like <clears throat> 34 and 35. Kind of summarizes it all. I'm, I guess I'm sitting here amazed that John the Baptist understood this. Yeah. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he, Jesus again, gives the Spirit without measure. Father loves the Son and has given all things in His hand. That's the that's the Trinity right there. <clears throat> Jesus, God, Spirit. It's a. I mean, that's you know we always I, I shouldn't say we always but we've probably all have struggled with what is the Trinity? What's mm-hmm. that mean? And that for me that kind of wraps it up. God's the authority. He sent Jesus, and Jesus has the authority now to mm-hmm. give the Spirit. Well, essentially, he's telling his people that he's discipling and baptizing. Like, I don't know why you're still doing here. The answers are there. Nice, nice. How humbling is that for John the Baptist? He's in a very tight spot here, right? He's got all his people saying, "Dude, I thought you, you know, this is your game." And it was for a while. It was. And John is very humble here. It says a lot about John the Baptist. Now, he is obviously struggling with things. And later when he's in prison, he shows his human side, which is, is this really the Messiah? Because this ain't turning out like I thought it was. But this is the part where when when Jesus says there's no one born of woman greater than John, Mm -hmm. this is like what he's speaking to. It's like the way John's, you know. This is, yeah, this would be a very hard thing, I think, for, Mm -hmm. for us to be like, Oh no, I'm just the messenger. I'm just supposed to send it up for Jesus, but yep. John is really showing that there's no word of woman greater than him, you know. My kids ask me, it's the question, if you could go back in time and meet three people, who would it be? Guess who is number one on my list? John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist. I wanna know that guy. And aren't we all kind of John the Baptist? I would love to be Ken. <laughs> Am I? Yes, and you're right about that. This is the right answer. Guess who has been duly appointed to act as John the Baptist? You are. Tell people about Christ and be humble. I love it. Thanks, brother. All right, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week.